Are you ready to get a little bit stickity stinkity rinkity dinkity funky on the Archipreneur Now podcast? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is episode 30, and I am Heath Armstrong. Excited to present my guest today, Alex Frohmeyer, the inventor of the bean brush, the very first world's connected toothbrush. So it engages users with their daily hygiene routine. It's very, very cool. He gets into this burst and horizon of technology and all the other exciting things that are coming our way in the technology industry. We're also going to talk about startups, how to take your product to market, and all the important things that come with it right now on The Archipreneur Now. For all the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 30. Here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Here we go now. Who wants to get funky? Who wants to get a little creative out there? Which one of you want to get a little bit artsy now? Get on with your bad self. Everybody, get out your toothbrush and throw it in the trash. Because our guest today has a new way to clean up that smile. He's an engineer, he's an entrepreneur. And he's swinging for the fences like a Louisville slogger. Everybody welcome Alex Frommeyer. Alex, you are the entrepreneur now. What is going on, man? Not much. I love the intro. That was everything I was promised and more. <laughs> you, must, <laughs> you, you obviously couldn't have been promised too much. But well, wherever the bar was, you exceeded the bar. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I like to get the the listeners a little amped up and excited, or at least laugh a little bit with how ridiculous it is. Uh, but but it's a fun part of the show. So, Alex is the co-founder and CEO of Few Ventures, CEO of Beam Technologies, founder and CEO of Uproar Labs. You've got all sorts of credentials. Uh, such a young age, totally inspiring, man, to see all that you're going after and accomplishing, uh, a living, breathing example that dreams can be tackled, and you're basically just now getting started. So what's the secret, man? Uh, you know, I think uh, in many ways, the everything that I've had a chance to do so far in my career, and, and let's project for it and hope that all of that continues, all of it's really about taking um, – a step back from the world um, and taking a good hard look at things that are going on and trying to fit myself into things that I find really interesting. So um, it's very easy for me for whatever reason to get really excited about new ideas and uh, really passionate about solving problems. Yeah, I love that outlook. So Uproar Labs is a connected you know, hardware firm, as you describe it, based out of Louisville, and you all specialize in the development, and this is what I love, the launch of Internet of Things. <laughs> awesome. So, so you're basically a company that tackles all angles when creating software and hardware. Uh, you, you do it in a quick, 
in-house, minimal resource fashion. And these services include, you know, a whole array of things, circuit and firmware design, industrial and mechanical design, supply chain development, software development, whether that be mobile, web, or desktop, uh, brand development, a bunch of production and manufacturing consulting services. Can, I mean, can I ask how many people are involved in your company? Uh, Upper Labs is doing everything on that list with five people. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. It seems like you got a pretty great thing going there, Alex. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, the what it really speaks to is how amazing my team is, and that's kind of what if you needed to sum up Upper Labs and why we're valuable um, to the city, to the state, to the region, um, and we do work all over the country. It's because my team's great. We have such an incredibly like diverse set of skills that when we kind of put ourselves together, we still have a small team, but we have a pretty wide and deep bench of uh, skill set. And so we can help um, take our clients, some of which are Fortune 500 companies, some of which are are other super, super early stage startups, and help fill in the gaps in their team or just take on some big scope of work that typically you'd have a team double or triple the size of ours. Uh, But we can all do um, kind of front to back uh, R&D on a connected product uh, all in-house. Yeah, beautiful, super well-rounded. I can see how that can be a very successful tactic to implement when you have so many people that are, you know, wearing so many different hats. Can you give us a summary of what Uproar Labs is all about uh, and tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So, um, Uproar Labs' goal, um, so Uproar Labs kind of came from this um, recognition, maybe maybe not quite this time last year, but probably mid to late 2013, um, my team and I were um, starting to get uh, solicitations from all over the place, all over the country from all these different companies. Um, And this is through Beam Technologies. And so we had been up and running Beam and kind of solving our own problems, building hardware and figuring out how to produce things and how to build a supply chain and how to do 3D CAD modeling, and how to use 3D printers, and how to build our own electronics in-house. So we had been building all these skill sets for years uh, as a team. And and as we started to see um, more and more outsiders, third parties, approaching us and asking us questions about how we pulled off what we um, do in the fashion that we do it, we recognized, um, and then also getting asked for help as well, kind of inside of many of those discussions, we realized there was, an, there was this huge gap between um, many uh, groups of, especially early stage and small companies, and where they want to be with their technology. And so this is especially evident for us when we see software groups. So that I can't tell you how many times I've hosted the same conversation where there's a group of software entrepreneurs. Uh, Maybe they don't quite have a company yet. Maybe they totally do have a company, sometimes even funding and aggressive funding. And their idea or their ideas are focused on something that breaches into the physical world. And uh, there's a huge difference between uh, being a totally digital uh, company 
and bridging the gap between the digital and the physical because the physical brings in all of these new challenges. And those challenges include manufacturing something and manufacturing something in a repeatable and scalable way, which is very difficult. It brings in um, uh, issues around intellectual property, um, regulatory clearance, um, and just the uh, natural embedded issues that come with um, electronics or hardware. And so uh, we find ourselves often um, taking those types of, of um, entrepreneurs or individuals or companies and helping them get to the finish line with a great idea that they can't themselves execute. And we do it with a single point of contact, uh, which is me. And, um, and so that kind of takes us to some of my background, which I've always been very interested in kind of staying on. Um, having one foot in these two very interesting worlds to me. So I've always been very interested in um, building things and um, uh, a trained engineer, and I've been uh, hacking things together uh, and using tools and building stuff for myself since I was a little kid. Uh, but then I've always loved having one foot in business because I think um, building things for the sake of building things is super interesting, but things get really interesting when you start building things for a purpose and that purpose beyond just your own enjoyment of something. So I, I always say that, you know, I think it's fun to build one thing uh, because that one thing is typically, typically going to be for you or someone, you know, right. You know, I might build something and then I'll give it to my best friend or I'll build something and then use it myself. Uh, but things get much more interesting to me when it comes time to build a million of something. Because mm -hmm. if you're building a million of something, you need to be solving a real problem uh, or enabling something that a million people desire. And that's a completely different equation. Uh, and that's when things, I think, become um, uh, very compelling for my team and I to kind of attack. Oh, definitely. Reaching out and getting that thumbprint out there across the world has to be such a gratifying feeling. Oh, yeah. Uh, and continuing to expand that, obviously, is a goal that uh, you've got right in front of you and you're attacking it every single day. So you're an engineer, uh, a creator of technology, and you focused your talents into creating the very first connected toothbrush, the beam brush. So I want to get into that a little bit and explain to the audience what this product is. But where have you essentially uh, taken a toothbrush and synced it with software for multiple purposes, not only for reporting dental and hygiene habits, but I could see this being a big pinpoint for dental offices uh, for them to kind of track their patients. Is that correct? Yeah, so... The, um, so the, probably the, the first thing that I always like to say when I'm talking about the beam brush is that the, the goal of creating oral health related data is certainly not as sinister as a lot of people somehow make it out to be. Mm -hmm. um, we're living in an era that, and this is, a, uh, let me also say, totally, totally understandable. And these are like very good things to bring up in these discussions. We're living in this era that's characterized by a lot of the, the scary side of data. Um, just recently in the past year, 
Um, Edward Snowden steals and leaks a bunch of government data, and that becomes a big, you know, controversy, right? Um, Target gets 40 million customer uh, accounts breached at Christmas time, which becomes a huge nightmare for credit card information spilling onto the internet from a huge retailer. Um, and I, you know, I follow this space very, very closely, of course, uh, and working deeply within it. And I can't tell you how often I'm bumping up against these, these questions and these issues around IT security uh, over the Internet of Things and kind of how, what type of problems that can cause. And then there's this added layer when you're doing something in healthcare. On top of all of that, there's this, this extra concern, which is, you know, it's one thing if my, my data about um, what aisle in Target I spend most time in, right? Like, is it the dog food aisle or is it the personal hygiene aisle, right? You know, that's one thing. Most people, you know, they don't want that data out there, um, but it's not going to, like, fundamentally ruin their lives. But when it comes to health information, people get super sensitive. And, it, yeah. and, and of course, I mean, all of this makes sense, right? These are kind of natural reactions to... Uh, to how we think about data uh, in 2014, um, and and so when when it comes to collecting something as innocent sounding as when and how long you're brushing your teeth, of all things, it's still highly guarded information in, in many people's eyes for the sake of it being health related, and um, and so the goal with the beam brush is to help make our users first of all, more aware of their daily health habits. And so, of course, we're concentrating on your oral hygiene, which is an important piece of that kind of uh, preventive health um, array, uh, just like sleep is, just like diet is, just like exercise is. And there are other companies that are thankfully attacking uh, those areas of health right now using these elegant, connected hardware solutions like we are at the Beam Brush. Um, so our goal is first to make awareness happen. And then our secondary goal is to bring value to users to help make sure people are maximizing their opportunity to have great oral health. So the first thing I, I want to do is help characterize behavior. And then the second piece of the puzzle is how can I affect that behavior and, and, and reward you for um, uh, having that behavior affected. So if you're someone that's taking care of your teeth well, but um, not to what your dentist uh, would recommend to be an optimal level. If you let the beam brush help you get there, I want to be able to, to deliver you a reward for getting there. So if you can improve how engaged you are with your oral health on a day-by-day -day basis, um, I should be able to give you uh, something for your efforts, like free movie tickets so you can go out with your family to the movies. And so if you're delivering real value to the consumer, we... Uh, uh, totally believe, and we've already, of course, seen this with our product out there, that people will be happy to engage and use data in kind of a, a positive feedback loop in that way. Yeah, we're seeing a huge swing with these, you know, types of apps that offer rewards back, even if it's just a simple goal setting app where, you know, your screen blows up and show, shoots fireworks everywhere at you every time you hit that goal and check it off. Uh, do you think that having that reward incentive is is much more engaging for the user? It is, and and um, 
and that hits on some important themes right now that are happening in this genre of product that the beam brush is in called digital health. And it's also happening across the digital spectrum right now. And the reason for it is because we've seen, and I'm always blown away by these stats, the stats around gaming and the gaming industry is crazy. Like 1.2 billion people play video games or something. Like the, oh the, num- the numbers are insane. It's like almost as many people that have internet access play games. And like not just a little bit, but a lot. Wow. And um, it's, I, I remember being in the keynote at, um, it might have been like CES a couple years ago. Um, but anyway, the, there was a keynote address that I sat in at one point that was by the uh, CEO from EA, EA Games. And some of the stats that he could share about the gaming industry were crazy. And, and so there's this huge world that's kind of the gaming world. So, and, and, and everybody understands this, right? Video games have been around for 20, 30 years. So, you know, you turn on, you turn on the Xbox, you play the Xbox. Everything that you achieve in a game, uh, in an Xbox game, is going to be totally digital, right? Like you get to level three, congrats. You get to level four, congrats. Um, and then there's this whole other world um, that operates on, um, more traditional business principles. So, you know, I open up the Facebook app and I get hit with ads because Facebook's business model is to sell ads, uh, for valuable screen space that my eyeballs see and sometimes click on. Right. So the, what's interesting is that those two worlds in their own rights are gigantic and gigantic businesses. Yet they have it only in small ways, but increasing, uh, interacted with one another. And so what we're doing to help incentivize health is also happening across the spectrum in other health behaviors, as well as other incent-worthy in, incent uh, behaviors uh, to help bring these gaming elements into the everyday world. So if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm Coke, Coca-Cola, and I want to get the most value out of my marketing and branding budget, I am personally much more interested in spending uh, $2 to give an interested and engaged user a free Coke, which is a tangible like gamification reward, as opposed to spending that same $2 to show that user some ads for a Coke. Yeah. Right. Because if I'm showing them just the ad, I'm banking on them clicking on that ad enough times or seeing that ad enough times that they go buy the Coke. So why don't I just give them the Coke, which makes it much more likely that they're going to do whatever behavior got them the Coke the first time again. And then they're going to do it again. And then they're going to start getting it when they're, you know, buying dinner and then they're going to start buying it when they're at the grocery store and it becomes much more valuable for the same ad spend. And so that's where I think like gamification and these kind of like active rewards start to meld the physical and digital worlds together in a really interesting way. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a scary stat to think about the video games like that, but that really does open up this huge opportunity for this type of product. And we're kind of just on the brink of them all being babies as well. But it seems like they're all really pulling in uh, the consumer 
because they do get that reward and it makes them feel better about themselves. So I think you're on to something, man. Yeah, what's interesting is that, um, you know, uh, in, the, in the startup world, we talk about stickiness a lot. And so the, the essence of stickiness, especially with a consumer facing product, is how do you make your experience, whatever your product is, whatever you're doing, how do you make the experience sticky so that people want to open up your app and not the competitors or use your platform and not the competitors or buy your product and not the competitors? And there's an entire industry that's already figured out stickiness. It's games. People will obsess over games. I mean, I'm sure you know, plenty of people I know, uh, I do, that play video games four, five, six hours a day, every day and have for years. And and it's no longer just kind of the, the cliche, um, you know, teenage white male that's playing video games. Those, those stats haven't been true for years now. Um, there's a huge segment of, of gamers that are moms, like stay-at-home moms are huge gamers. Really? Uh, yeah, girl, girls and guys are now on pretty much even keel as far as um, uh, gaming hours. Um, you know, the, the more and more I dive into the stats behind the gaming industry, it's, it's really interesting to see how the demographics have flipped and changed over time. And, um, and so what, these, what the gaming industry has figured out is how to make these these um, uh, people rabid fans of their products, and and you know the first thing many people do when they get home after work or after school is turn on um, their uh, gaming system or open up their favorite you know mobile game or tablet game and start playing. And so what it underscores is that these guys have figured out how to make something that people want to use. And if you can use those elements and stack it on top of these kind of stale consumer experiences, like brushing your teeth, which is by all accounts, one of the most boring mundane things you do every day. Now you've got a chance at being um, sticky, right? Now you've got the, you've, you've taken all of these elements that people want and you've placed it on top of something that people don't want. And now you've hopefully got the magic combination to make, better health, uh, and an experience that people are at least tolerant of and maybe even actively want to engage in. Yeah, wow. When you first got started with the beam brush, uh, you know, and you were all in and, and extremely committed to this and you've identified this huge opportunity, what were some of those first steps you took to get the ball rolling? You know, if there was somebody out there who was in a similar position that you were back then, uh, they wanted to kind of attack their entrepreneur life. They just weren't really sure about the first couple steps to do. What would you tell them to, to start doing right now? So the, uh, I debate this often, uh, both with myself and with uh, others in the startup space on kind of what is that first step. Uh, I, I kind of came at this fairly uniquely because I started in what I would consider to be backwards order. Um, many people have an idea first and then they take their idea and, uh, spend time developing that idea and getting feedback on that, that idea. And maybe if they're able, they can build a rough version of that idea, whether it's a physical prototype or digital prototype. Um, and then find, um, a team that can help make that idea 
a business. And that's kind of what flips it from a hobby to a startup, let's say. Uh, I kind of did all of that in backwards order. Um, so I had the team first. And so when I was an undergrad in uh, engineering school, um, uh, I had uh, a couple really, really good friends who were um, in, my, in many of my classes. And we kind of recognized and saw in each other early on the opportunity to kind of break away from the mold uh, since, you know, they're basically the rest of our classmates were all, you know, interested in taking jobs after uh, they graduated for, you know, various companies. We were interested in starting our own company. And, and I had been interested in being an entrepreneur since I was in uh, elementary school. And so I kind of knew I was headed in that path, but I needed something that kind of gave me an excuse to like really do it. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw these two brilliant engineers, uh, one, my co-founder, Alex Curry, who was a mechanical engineer, and then Dan Dykes, my other co-founder, who's an electrical engineer, I said, hey, this is like, this is kind of my dream team. So I've got these two guys. I think they're both brilliant. They're both, you know, super hard workers. I like them as people. We're already good friends. Um, maybe I've got something here. And so I, I dragged those guys into a quote unquote company for more than a year while we were undergrads, which was basically me running around the city of Louisville, meeting people in the startup scene and trying to figure out um, our place within that scene, uh, which was a very painful process, by the way. Um, but we met a lot of people, built a lot of relationships that are still very, um, very strong today. And the net result was that when we did have the idea and that idea being the beam brush, we were able to get from zero to 60 very quickly because I already had a team in place. I already knew lots of people that later could become other employees or investors or um, help in various ways. Like that's, you know, how I found my lawyer. That's how I found my accountant. Um, that's how I found people to help me, um, understand marketing strategy. And, um, and so in many ways we did it backwards, but it totally worked. So is the lesson that there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it? Probably not. I think the lesson is that if you've got, I think the lesson is that you have to have an amazing team and that amazing team is not going to be you, uh, you, you know, a team has to be more than one person at a minimum. Um, cause I don't know of any business that's really just like one person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, there's probably some successful examples of companies that the one guy was able to take it pretty far before he had to build a great team around him or her. But at some point you have to build a great team around yourself. And so you can either do that now or do it later, but you got to do it. Um, so that's one lesson. And then the other lesson is, have ideas, have lots of ideas, and make sure that the idea that you have, you are super passionate about and that you can vet. And you need to smash that idea in front of every person that's willing to listen and email people to the point of them telling you that uh, you shouldn't contact them anymore because you've, you've taken them to the precipice of their patience. Um, and call them until you get those responses and talk to people when you're out always, you have to be pitching always. And that's something I learned early on is that if you're not, if you're not pitching, you're not getting something done. So um, if you were one to 
2012 and we were building the beam brush uh, and you talk to any of my friends, my family, uh, just acquaintances, they will tell you that all I was talking about was the beam brush. And I wanted to hear what you thought about it. And I wanted to hear what you thought about it. And I wanted to hear what you thought about it. And that's all I cared about. And I love every single point that you're making because I think you're really opening up uh, the back end of how you can approach tackling your dreams. And you're really adamant about getting out of your comfort zone and doing things, uh, you know, just being relentless about it. You, you approached it by building your network first, which I think not enough people do. If you go out there and you build a network and you talk to people every single day, you'd be surprised what kind of problems you can uncover. And then if you take your team and you tackle those problems, I mean, all of a sudden you've got a business in front of you. And I think that it's, it's amazing to actually get to talk to somebody who has approached it that way and has had so much success doing it. Uh, do you think that if you hadn't, been relentless as far as calling and sending emails and telling everybody about what you were doing that you would still have the beam brush out today? Oh, no question. We would not have a business if it weren't for that. And I mean, we've, um, um, you know, the, so this, this is also kind of an important point to underscore, which is when you're doing something truly new and different and you can make this argument of of not just like startups which we kind of think of in the the technology domain but if you're doing anything new even if you're like an artist doing like a new installation just a fresh idea if you're doing something that's truly unique no one is going to like it <laughs> and that's something we had we had to kind of like get used to that early on that I'm, i remember um I mean, I had the idea for connecting the toothbrush, which keep in mind, many people still in 2014 consider to be kind of a, a ridiculous idea. It's, it's uh, chuckle worthy. Like, you know, I, I still pitch in rooms that, you know, when I present that our, our product is a connected toothbrush, people are kind of like, what? You know, it's an eyebrow razor. Um, and so if you rewind when... Uh, to when I actually had the idea for connecting the toothbrush, which was in 2011, three years ago, it was really, really out there then. And I was pitching this around <laughs> Kentucky. So I'm walking around. Uh, I'm, I'm in a place that's not a place known for super progressive technology ideas, right? So I'm in, I'm in Louisville running around pitching a product that's at that point well ahead of its time because this was before anybody was talking about the Internet of Things. Um, you know, digital health was just a glint in the eye. There were really only a couple digital health companies at the time, uh, like Fitbit and body media were probably the only companies doing hardware it, with, with kind of like a health bend to it. So there weren't, um, there wasn't all the, the traction in kind of the health technology space either. Well, and, and you're, so, you're attacking a state that is probably in the lower five percentile of actual personal hygiene and, and fitness and things like that too. <laughs> uh, yeah. An important point. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm running around talking about this, this crazy idea. I mean, I still consider it a fairly crazy idea because less than 1% of all people are brushing their teeth with a connected toothbrush today. So until that number is like 40% or something, and we've like truly arrived, 
um, it, it, it's, it, I'll still consider it a crazy idea. But, I mean, that just shows you so much opportunity that's available too at the same point. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, of course, my team and I have always seen that and believed it. So you, you can rewind to 2011 and I would be telling you the same thing, which is that in 2020, it will seem crazy to people that they ever didn't brush their teeth with a connected toothbrush. Yeah. And, and that's just the way the, the curve of technology is playing right now. And so um, the big question for us as a business is, are we going to be the guys that make that happen or is it going to be somebody else? But it will happen. And, and I, I would defend that to the death. But if we're out there, if you were one to 2011, when we're talking about this crazy idea of connecting a toothbrush and using data to help incentivize oral hygiene and then using that data to help people um, access more cost-effective dental insurance plans, uh, which is you know a big piece of our business model as well. You know that that is crazy stuff. And so, if I would have listened, as I probably should have, and um, and if I would have taken a lot of the negative feedback I got at its kind of at its word, and and I didn't tease apart the good inside the bad and I didn't continue to solicit opinions and find subject matter experts that could speak to a different piece of the market that I wasn't considering. If I didn't have so much passion about that particular idea that um, I did, it totally would have busted very early on uh, because I remember doing a, a little thing in 2011 where I sat down with some people that I have incredible respect for uh, in Louisville that, that are, um, you know, leaders in the uh, entrepreneurial scene locally in the business scene. And, and I remember pitching them the beam brush and they not so subtly encouraged me to do something else. And I remember them, I remember one guy in particular was like, look, you know, Alex, you've got these, um, you know, you're an engineer, uh, you know, smart guy, really hard worker. You've got this team of guys. You're all smart. You know, why don't you just, you know, do something else, right? <laughs> you know, you, you guys, you guys have talent. You could, you could build a lot of stuff, which is true. And he was, you know, saying like, you know, just, you know, give up on this idea and get to something else because I don't think you've got it. And, and looking back on that now, it's pretty funny that, you know, two years later, we've, raised money, launched a product, sold out of that product, getting ready to launch our second generation device, um, trying to gather the momentum that we need to like really make a major push at the connected oral care market. And, um, and so to see how close we plausibly could have came to just saying, eh, you're right, all these smart people, <laughs> all these smart people are telling us that this is like not a good idea. Um, we should we should come up with something else is amazing. So the fact that we can now kind of, you know, hindsight's 2020. But at the time, you know, if I wasn't so kind of stubbornly confident that it was going to work and, and be a thing uh, we probably would have given up on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to be that confident and you have to believe in yourself or you'll never carry it through. Uh, And there's some crazy high stat about people that try to start businesses. You know, the failure rate is, is unreal. Because people just don't follow through with it, or they lose passion, uh, and they they lose belief in themselves. But you know, whenever you find yourself on the the side of the majority, 
and people are telling you, you know, don't make this. This isn't a smart idea. Well, that's that's the time I think that it's, you know, you should pause and, and reflect and uh, go the different route because <laughs> that's when you create the opportunities. And everything's obviously going to be difficult before it's easy. And every new experience is going to be uncomfortable before it's comfortable. So, you know, you you took the different route and attacked it. And I bet the feeling now is amazing looking back. And you got the last laugh on it, didn't you? Uh, yes. And, and we, we uh, try to never brag on that point. But I do think if, if there's a lesson to be learned, and this is um, – and this is, you know, something that we've come to and lot, and you'll see this reflected time and time again with the upper echelon of, of entrepreneurs. Well, let's broaden that. Let's just say the top few percent of the creative thinking world and whatever your medium is, if you're creating something and if, so if you're, if you're in the business of creating things, if you ever see that everyone agrees with your vision when you first pitch it, go do something else, right? Like <laughs> I, I would, if, if, if I had been pitching, this probably wasn't true in 2011, but if I were to pitch a new idea today to you and 10 other people and all 11 of you were like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, yeah, you should do that. I, I will literally throw that idea away because it's, <laughs> it's obviously behind the times if everyone already understands it. And, um, and, and there, there are probably there are some kind of good arguments to be made uh, against that notion, at least to some extent. But the point is that if you want to, um, if you want to really be playing on the edge of what's possible and what's happening and what's going to be happening, which is where my team and I want to be. So if we were, if we were trying to build a me too product um, right now, we would build um, a, a mobile messaging app akin to that of a um, Snapchat or a um, what's the one that Facebook just bought um, for like nineteen billion dollars? WhatsApp. Uh, yeah, WhatsApp. Yeah. So if if we were just trying to do something that everybody else already gets and is willing to kind of endorse just on principle, we would build a WhatsApp knockoff. Yeah. Right. Because that's clearly in right now, and there's lots of money flowing into the mobile messaging space and all that stuff. So as soon as something like that happens, and it's and it's obvious to everyone that that is uh, kind of the status quo of technology and new ideas, I'm no longer interested in it because I don't really care what the 2014 market wants per se. I'm much more interested in looking to what the market's going to want in 2015 or 16 or 17 or 18, because it's just a much more interesting exercise uh, to be playing at the edge and flirting with that edge openly, as opposed to sitting back, waiting for everyone else to innovate and then saying, well, I, I guess we can do that too, right? Yeah. And the day and age that we live in, gives unlimited opportunity there, uh, you know, with Apple and, and all this technology coming out in the future, if you're really on the cutting edge of it, you never know in three or four years, how big of a spark you can make, you know, with these sensors and all the cool stuff that is going on. I think the apps are really taking a, a direction towards, you know, like you said, bridging the gap to the physical side of things as well. Uh, and being an engineer as yourself, I can see that probably being of huge interest to you. I mean, even, you know, I would love to be able to walk in my house with my phone and have my lights turn on whatever room I go in. And when I leave right. the room, 
have the lights <laughs> turn off. And that's not that far around the band. Yeah, coming uh, soon. Yeah. I mean, it's, you can already do some of that. You know, there's a, you, you hit on a very, uh, on a great point here, which is that um, the, you know, my team arrived early because we've been together for about five years um, uh, doing things in the, uh, the startup space. And, you know, we were talking about the essence of the Internet of Things all the way back in 2008, 2009. And we were coming up with connected products, um, all kind of working backwards from this fascination with the physical digital interaction. And, um, and we're still not there yet um, as, as a technology community. The Internet of Things is just now kind of becoming kind of fever pitch as far as the interest in doing those types of products. But we're going to see deep, deep immersion for a decade, I think, um, into making seamless experiences between the now ubiquitous uh, smartphones and Internet connectivity that we live in. Um, and the physical everyday objects that we've been buying and putting in our houses and our cars and our offices for years. And, um, and my team's been there um, psychologically, and we've been there technically for, for years now. And so we are very, very excited for, uh, for Beam, for Uproar, for the next 10 things that come after it, because we have um, you know, been kind of training for this, if you will, for a while. So this is kind of like our World Cup, right? We've been training for the past few years, and now it's ready to uh, kind of become um, a thing for for us to help, you know, build some of these uh, products and these experiences and uh, and help others do the same thing. Yeah, and I'm definitely super excited about it. Uh, you know, about a year ago, I started pondering ideas and recently have kind of done some research into some of them and found that there are some companies that are working on uh, like ideas and just the ability of thinking about walking around this world with your phone, but also using the actual physical world as kind of a playground. I mean, it just kind of makes your head get so excited that it kind of wants to blow up and explode. You know, Uh, I can imagine, you know, going to a concert and then if, I liked the music. I'm walking out of the place. I can pick my cell phone up. And then there's already a a link there that says, Hey, download these tracks and you can pay for the album with one click. And then it's on your phone or like going to the store and you're walking through a particular aisle and you've got some sort of sensor on products between that and your phone. It knows what you're looking at and it can tell you if there's a discount or something on it. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Even if it's dropping a picture onto the physical world from your digital phone uh, in a bathroom stall. And then the next person that comes in gets a notification and opens it up and sees, sees the picture, you know, and you don't even know them uh, be kind of, be kind of a crazy thing to imagine, but it's probably not that far out. No, you know, every, everything you depicted is uh, uh, just now it's totally realistic uh, with today's technology. And, um, and, you know, I'll even take some of those examples and one-up them because what I am most interested in seeing is, so let's take your concert example. What would be really, really cool is if you have already created your preferred experience in the digital world for how you like to view and understand music in the physical world. 
so that it's not even a matter of your phone listening in to a concert, finding some tracks from that band, and then giving you the ability to keep listening to that band or downloading or buying those songs on the back end. But what if your phone is passively listening into a concert and building an entire uh, playlist experience of similar music uh, for your ride home and of, and you're not touching anything. All you're doing is you're walking out of a concert, getting into your car and turning your car on. And so your car, which will be connected, um, is speaking back to your mobile phone. Uh, your phone's collected data from the concert. It speaks to your car, tells your car what music to play for your ride home. Um, you're wearing a wrist-worn uh, mood tracker, um, and you're feeling in a mellow mood after the concert, so it's going to change the lighting in your car to fit your mood. Uh, you're going to get home, and you're your house is going to be all connected and it's going to replicate that experience from your car into your home with lighting and, and audio as well. And it's the, that type of experience that can take um, the, again, these kind of like average everyday things that we interact with. So, I mean, no, nobody's delighted by their car anymore. It's just whatever. Right. So there's been major convergence around the automobile. Everybody gets it by now. So that's kind of yawn worthy. And uh, your house is just your house, right? After you've been there a few times, that becomes boring. And so it's how, how do you take that experience to the next level and actually um, bring a- active elements from your life into that home or that car and have them respond back to you? Uh, and when you're at the store, not only should you be seeing if there's a discount on a product that you're hovering over on the shelf, um, but that product should be begging you to buy it by dropping the price in real time, yeah. right? So if I'm hovering over a product and I'm like, I don't know, $3.99 is a little bit much, it should be automatically dropping its price to $3.79 and then $3.59 and then $3.39 until you pick it up. Mm-hmm. And, and it should be able to, uh, you know, an entire store should essentially be automated in that way because guess what? That's exactly what Amazon does already. Uh, it's just totally digital. So how do you take Amazon's technology and replicate it in the digital world, which is uh, something that is already being attacked by uh, by companies large and small right now. So it's a very exciting time to be building those types of applications. Alex, you're freaking me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> we could go for hours and just... Oh, it sounds so. It, it, it sounds so awesome. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Some some a little bit of it scares me, uh, but at the same time, change is change is good, and I can see all of that being so 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 just comfortable and amazing. Uh, especially, you know, you're talking about getting in the car and your mood is a little dim, and so the lights are a little dim. I was like, yeah, yeah. and that's actually stuff that's you know coming out fairly soon. Oh yeah, uh, Philips actually has a, a light bulb that uh, uh, has an RGB LED driver in it, so it can do you know 15 million different colors, and you can customize the color of your lighting with your phone. And it won't be long before that becomes more of an automated process, in that the light bulb can learn uh, how you like the lighting at different times of night. So maybe you like um, 
maybe you know have friends over every Friday night, and after a while, your light bulbs will learn that you have people over and you want it to be, you know, more dimly lit at on Friday nights versus uh, on Thursday and Wednesday nights when you're you know reading uh, by yourself at night or whatever. So um, you know that that is much much closer than uh, I mean that's that's twelve or eighteen month stuff. Um, uh, so you know, in many ways, our team's already looking at um, you know stuff like that is almost even boring to us at this point. So we're looking at okay, what's what's two years away? What's three years away? And what what can we be doing to kind of fit ourselves into um, those types of builds uh, now? I think I think the answer is strobe lights and smoke shows. <laughs> Isn't that always the answer though? <laughs> I feel like strobies, no matter what man. the question is, that's the answer. Yeah, strobies. If you had to battle Godzilla, how would you use your creativity or talents to defeat that big bastard? <laughs> um, there, there's a number of ways to take Godzilla down, I think. And using some of the themes we talked about today, I'd probably suggest some sort of uh, um, uh, on-body fitness tracker um, that I could implant, like shoot into his leg. And then we would use his heart rate data and his vital signs and wear him down over time. And then we would know when he was at his weakest and then we could strike. <laughs> Do you think Godzilla brushes his teeth? Godzilla probably does. Because uh, if you remember from any time Godzilla is depicted in a movie or just pop culture reference and there's a visual, his teeth are always um, really bright. Uh, so I'd say definitely. Yeah, well... All that fire could be burning them off, you know, straight right. through. So, <laughs> do, do you have any favorite uh, advice, resources, or tools that you think could be of value to our listeners before we say goodbye? Uh, so, I can definitely tell you on, on the resource side, I make myself uh, as available as possible to um, uh, anyone that's um, an aspiring entrepreneur or an active entrepreneur. Um, so, um, I am very much in kind of team building mode around our parts at least. And so we're bringing in interns, we're bringing in, um, um, people that are even less formal to help kind of train the ideas behind here's how you approach and think about the world. If you're going to be a startup guy. Um, and so I'm very, um, I'm very active in that space. And then even in the much less formal arena, um, I have a, um, uh, tradition now that uh, every Saturday and now even some Sundays, I spend my mornings at local coffee shops in Louisville uh, and just stack up meetings with um, students that are interested in um, business and um, people that have an idea and want to become an entrepreneur, people that are uh, have already started something and want to kind of chat and share war, war stories and uh, just all kinds of people, um, because there's such an such a uh, an exploding interest in startups, entrepreneurship, creativity, technology, all of that, all of those themes. And um, so, if you're in my area, I'm always happy to get together physically in in one of those types of settings. Um, but if you're outside, um, uh, I'm always in the ether. So uh, I try and make my email and phone very available for people to hit me with questions and thoughts and um, all that stuff. So um, if there's a way that we can help, 
uh, it's going to happen because um, one of my sub themes, certainly for what my team and I are doing, is trying to help take um, the middle of the country and, of course, specifically Kentucky and even more specifically Louisville uh, to try and uh, match what's happening um, in the Bay Area and Seattle and Austin and Boston and New York and these places that already have really strong ecosystems for creativity and new ideas and, um, and startups and, and uh, all that. So uh, if I can help uh, Louisville area or Kentucky or just even middle American entrepreneur get that much closer to blowing up, then always happy to help. Yeah, everybody out there, give Alex a ring-a-ling-a-ding-dong uh, and he'll be <laughs> glad to sit down with you and show you why taking a step forward towards the life you love is definitely the way to go. Uh, you know, don't, don't ever take yourself so seriously. Jobs you hate and unnecessary stress will never be important enough to trump what truly drives you. And just never accept yourself for who you are. Always create the person that you want to be. And we are so happy to have people like Alex out there that are willing to help you get to that point. Uh, take it as an example and, and just go out there and do it. Do a little boogie and do a little jiving. And Alex, is there a way that our listeners can get in contact with you if they need to? Sure. Um, uh, best email for me is just my name, Alex Frohmeyer at gmail.com. Um, so A-L-E-X, Alex, F-R-O-M-M-E-Y-E-R, Frohmeyer. Um, and I, um, and, and seriously, like, I, uh, you know, I not just like saying it to say it, but I am very serious when I say I have a very, very open door and will respond within a day to anything that's um, sent to me and, um, and whatever I can do to help, I'm, I'm open to. Fantastic, Alex. Thank you so much for being on the show. You were amazing. You brought so much value to the startup and business side of creativity, and we love that. And we hope that you could come back and, and be the entrepreneur now. Once again in the future. Uh, but always remember, man, to keep it heady. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur Now podcast. For all the show notes and more information, please visit artsynow.com. That's A R T S Y now.com. Thank you. The music for this podcast was provided by Shaky Feeling out of Ventura, California. For more information, please visit shakyfeeling.com. Keep it funky.